So please open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 to 24. So Ephesians 6, verses 21 to 24. So today we come to the, the 45th and final sermon in our series through Ephesians. That whenever you turn there to Ephesians 6, verse 21, you, the, the, the heading in your Bible most likely says something like final greetings. Um, and so, you know, I, these are verses that you will rarely ever hear preached um, unless, you know, you're going through you know, a sermon series through a whole book of the Bible. And yet, I think you'll find that the, I mean, these, are, these are wonderful verses. Wonderful verses that, that I know that whenever we're in our Bible reading plan or whatever that we, okay, we're, you know, we got through the armor of God, we pay really close attention to that, and then Paul says some stuff about prayer, and then, okay, he's got to say something about this guy named Tychicus, whoever that is, and then and there's a benediction, and then you turn over to the, to the next book. But I think you'll see, I hope you'll see, that's my prayer, that as we go through these few verses slowly, that they're, they're meaningful. That this is, this is the Word of God. It's absolutely true. It is given to us in love for our good. And so here now, God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, life-giving Word. I'll begin reading Ephesians 6, verse 21. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. And it's absolutely true. And it's given to us in love for our good. So we're going to look at this passage under two headings. First, we'll look at this beloved brother, and then we're going to look at the, the two benedictions. Okay, it's really one benediction, but, you'll, but you may have even heard it uh, there as I read the, the passage, that verse 23 almost sounds like he's landed the plane because it sounds like a benediction, and then he has one more. And so we'll look at this kind of back-to-back double benediction here at the end of Ephesians. So first, the beloved brother. So look again with me at verse 21 and 22. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Okay, so, I mean, many of you have been with us for a long time in the book of Ephesians. I think we started this in fall 2021, and we took breaks for Advent and, and different things like that. But here we are. You know, 45 sermons later, you guys are experts, scholars in the book of Ephesians. So how would you answer the question, why did Paul write the letter to the Ephesians? How would you answer that question? Now, I, th- I think it can be answered in, in, in multiple ways. You know, quite a few pastors and commentators would, would say something like this, that Paul wrote Ephesians to answer Serve one of a few different questions, like, what is a Christian? You know, Paul lays that out in the book of Ephesians. You know, what is the church? We find that in Ephesians. Or, you know, what is, you know, what is basic Christianity? 
We see that in Ephesians. I mean, all of these make some sense because of, of what we learn as we go through the book of Ephesians from chapter 1 to chapter 6 about God's sovereign work in the salvation of salvation in the lives of the elect. We see that in Ephesians 1. We, we learn about God's amazing grace in our lives in the first half of Ephesians 2 of how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But then, but God in love made us alive together with Christ, that we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one may boast. Then we saw in the second half of Ephesians 2 through Ephesians 3 about how God has made both Jew and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles, now one in Christ. Now one in Christ, the destroyed, abolished, gotten rid of that dividing wall of hostility, now one in Christ, in this new family, in the church. Then in Ephesians 4, we learn about what it means to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, that calling that's laid out in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And, and then in Ephesians 5, we learn about being a spirit-filled, growing, maturing Christian in our marriages, husbands and wives. In Ephesians 6, we learn about doing this in our parent-child relationships, our workplace relationships. And then we looked at spiritual warfare and putting on the whole armor of God, learned about prayer, when we come to these final greetings, and whenever you think about all of this, I mean, all of the things I just covered, that summary of Ephesians, is, it's essential to answering questions of, okay, what is a Christian? You know, what is the church? You know, what is basic Christianity? However, I want you to look again at Ephesians 6, verse 21. Notice what Paul says at the end of the letter. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. You see, here we see one of the reasons that Paul gives for writing this letter. You know, simply and sweetly, he wanted the Ephesians Christians to know how he was doing and to know what he was doing. Pastor Sinclair Ferguson says, the reason for the letter may be as simple and sweet as that. He had many friends whom he had not seen for some time. He was now in prison and given the way news could be readily exchanged in the Roman Empire, his friends may well have heard and become over-anxious about him. And that, that reality about news spreading, friends worrying about him, that's why Paul sent the beloved brother Tychicus. So look at, listen again to verses 21 and 22. So that you may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother, faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Now, I've already said this guy's name multiple times, and so I'm, for the most part, I'm going to pronounce his name as Tychicus. I mean, it's a little bit hard to say, and so I may, I may use some other pronunciations. I mean, if you do a, a very literal wooden transliteration from the Greek to English, then you could pronounce his name Tychicus. You know, like, like, I, like I took a kiss from Alicia, you know, yesterday, you know, took a kiss. Um, uh, but I, I'm going to say Tychicus. You could also say Tychicus. Some say Tychicus, but I think Tychicus is the way I'm going to pronounce it today. You know, you can pronounce it however you want to pronounce it whenever, whenever you read this and whenever you preach your own sermon on um, Ephesians 6, you know, 21 to 24. Okay, but who, who is Tychicus? He's one of Paul's Loyal traveling companions. 
one of his loyal traveling companions, and he's mentioned in several places in the Bible, in the New Testament. Now, it's possible that you're like, well, Richard, this is the first time I've ever heard of this guy. Well, I understand because we're reading our Bibles, we're doing our Bible studies, you know, uh, we're listening to topical sermon series. You know, we, we may overlook this guy. We may read right past him. But Paul, Paul thinks highly of this man, a beloved brother, faithful minister unto the Lord. And so the first place he shows up is in Acts 20, verses 2 uh, to four. Now, there's, there's a lot of hard names in here. I'm going to read through it, and the key to reading these difficult names is you read them with confidence and just don't slow down. So that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and so when, when Paul had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Peter, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. So, Paul, so Tychicus is one of these loyal traveling companions, and pastor, commentator Kent Hughes says, Tychicus was one of the seven who accompanied Paul as traveling companions. Tychicus was probably the one who actually carried the offering for the poor in Jerusalem. When Paul was arrested, Tychicus, along with Luke and others, stayed with Paul through his epic journey to Rome, which included his arrest and imprisonment in Caesarea, his dramatic appearance before kings and governors, his miserable voyage and shipwreck en route to Rome, and his residence under house arrest in Rome awaiting trial. See, Paul clearly thought highly of Tychicus because Paul entrusted him, entrusted this man, Tychicus, to carry this letter to the Ephesians and to carry the letter to the Colossians and to accompany Onesimus, which we read about in Philemon, back to Colossae. So with Ephesians and these other letters, it's possible that Tychicus acted as Paul's scribe. And then perhaps at the very end of the letter, Paul takes the pen and he begins to write the the final greetings. But you see, as far as we can tell, I mean, I mean, Paul's in prison, right? As far as we can tell, Paul never read his letter to the Ephesians in public, you know, to, to a local congregation. Right? So think about this. This man, Tychicus, may well have been the very first minister, pastor to, to expound Ephesians to a local church. So I don't think it's a stretch to to seriously consider what R.C. Sproul says. He said, to get a visit from Tychicus was the next best thing to getting a visit from Paul himself. I mean, Tychicus was also a, a capable and qualified minister of the gospel, which is why Paul writes of his intention to send Tychicus to serve, in a, in a sense, as interim pastor in Crete to fill in for Titus. We read in Titus 3, verse 12, whenever I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. And then, you know, there's what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 to 12. Timothy, do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with his present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful 
to me for ministry, Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, right, which is where Timothy was the pastor. So Tychicus was sent to minister in Ephesus, apparently in Timothy's absence. Okay, so look again at our text in Ephesians 6, verse 21. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Okay, so kind of putting this all together. So this man, Tychicus, he lived 2,000 years ago. We really have no idea what he looked like. We only know a little bit about what he actually did. But when you look again at verse 21, we see how Paul wants us to remember him. That he is a beloved brother, a faithful minister in the Lord. And realize that was whether he was serving as a mailman or as the interim pastor for Titus and Timothy. That regardless of what he was tasked to do, whether it was a small thing or a big thing, he was beloved and faithful. Think about that, that description, beloved brother and sister, faithful minister, faithful servant in the Lord, should mark all of our lives. Right, Faithfulness in delivering a letter, faithfulness in collecting an offering, faithfulness in, in preaching a sermon series, and faithfulness in everything in between. So do you see what Paul's saying about this man Tychicus? Recorded in Scripture. Right? There's no job, no task, no role too small for Tychicus. Okay, you know, who, who's going to collect the offering? Tychicus goes, you know, I will. You know, who's going to deliver the letter? Okay, I'll do it. Who's going to serve as a greeter? Who's going to pass out the bulletin? You know, who's going to serve in the nursery? Who's going to pick up the trash? I mean, Tychicus raises his hand. He's given himself to faithfulness in all things. I mean, there's a no job, no task, no role, too small. And there's no job, no task, no role, too big. I'll go to Crete, and I'll fill in for Titus. Paul, if you need me to go to Ephesus, I'll fill in for Timothy so he can come to you. You see, I want to encourage you, and I want to encourage me, to pray something like this. Lord, in this church, in my home, in my friendships, in my sphere of influence, please make me more like Tychicus. You know, a Christian who is, who's given to faithfulness in all things, to the small things and the small tasks and the small roles that no one will ever notice, and also the big things and the bigger roles. So look again at verse 22 in our text. I have sent him, he sent Tychicus to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Pastor Richard Phillips says, Tychicus appears only briefly on the pages of Scripture, just as we pass only briefly through this world. Because of his godliness, Paul prized him as one who could encourage the church. So who is Tychicus? This man that perhaps we've, we've overlooked in the years of reading through the Bible, hearing sermons preached, you know, just one of the names and a list of names. But this man, Tychicus, is a beloved and faithful brother who could be entrusted with small things and big things and everything in between. The second heading is looking at these two benedictions. So, you know, you guys know we begin every worship service with a, a call to worship from God's Word. God calls us to, into His presence to worship Him, and He calls us in to worship Him with His Word. 
And then we end each worship service with a benediction, you know, which simply means a, a good word or a blessing. So God calls us into presence uh, to worship him with his word, and God sends us out uh, from the worship service with a smile and with his word, a good word, a blessing from his word, a, a benediction. So Ephesians ends with a benediction. As I said, it sounds much more like back-to-back benedictions. So first, there's verse 23, and it says, Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's look at this kind of phrase by phrase. And so first he talks about peace. Peace be to the brothers. You know, peace, this, he's talking about, you know, peace, peace with God primarily. You know, think about, think about what, what Paul says about our peace, our peace with God through faith in Christ in Romans 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You, you see, no one on this planet is in a neutral relationship with God. That we, we, we have either, we're either God's enemies because we've made God our enemy through our sin and through our rebellion, or we are God's dearly loved children who are at peace with God because of our justification in Christ. But the good news of the gospel is that there is full forgiveness and reconciliation for sinners like us and all sinners everywhere who will trust and rest in the finished redeeming work of Christ. That's where our peace with God comes from. It's only through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that sinners like us are, have peace with our God. When we trust and rest in all that Christ has accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection, then we're justified by faith. We have peace with God. And we're going to do this now several times in these last couple of verses in Ephesians, but we're going to look back at some of the things that Paul has said to us already in Ephesians. See, in Ephesians 2, verses 14 to 17, we read, For Christ himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, talking about made us, Jews and non-Jews, one in Christ. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. See, you know, I mean, what a beautiful phrase. Christ himself is our peace. That we're reconciled to God through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. But I also think that it's worth pointing out the peace that Paul speaks of is even more than a justified and reconciled life with God, as wonderful as that is. Pastor Ian Hamilton says, peace is the wholeness and richness of life that belongs to God's children. Paul's not seeking a, a trouble-free life for them. That's not even possible. But, but a life overflowing with the rich sense of God's presence. A life of well-being that the darkest of life's circumstances cannot annul. Like the the hymn says, pardon for sin in a peace that endureth. You know, a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today, 
no matter what we're facing today, and bright hope for tomorrow. Right? No matter what comes our way tomorrow, blessings all mine with 10,000 beside a peace that endureth. You see, Christ offers peace between sinners and our holy God, and he offers the living peace that only comes through the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling our hearts. And once we know this peace, then we're called to live a life of peace, most especially within the church. You know, reminding us of what Paul said about living a life worthy of the calling we've received at the very beginning of Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I mean, this goes a long way to telling us what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And so, friends, you know, do, do you know this peace? Do you need this peace? Do you want to know this peace? Well, it's only found in Christ. And through Christ, we can, we can not only possess peace for ourselves, but we can live lives eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so look again at verse 23. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Noticing that phrase, love with faith from God and from Christ. See, in this benediction, Paul not only reminds us of the peace that we have in Christ, but he also reminds us of God the Father's and God the Son's love for us. I mean, that's been a significant theme throughout Ephesians. You realize that? That, that, that God's love for you in Christ, I mean, that shows up in, in every chapter in the book of Ephesians, every single chapter. In chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, in love, God the Father predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. In Ephesians 3, verses 17 to 19, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, in Christ's love for you, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Then Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. Then in Ephesians 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. God loves you, and so live in light of that. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then we see here in this second to last verse in Ephesians, verse 23, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you notice that Paul links love with faith, right? The love of God, the love of God for the Christian is inseparably joined together with faith. And the love of God and our faith are both gifts from God. Right? Notice this in verse 23. This love from faith, 
This love, this love with faith comes from God. Right? It's a gift from him. It's a gift from Christ. And we know that faith is a gift, right? You think about Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. Right? Our whole salvation is a gift of God's grace. We don't contribute to it. We don't earn it. But it also means our saving faith is a gift of God's grace. Right? Our faith is not some expression of our own achievement, an expression of our own effort, or our own ability. Right? We must never ever think of salvation as this transaction between us and God in which God provides grace and we provide faith. Right? And so if God brings the grace, I bring the faith. No, no, faith is the instrument by which we receive the grace of Christ. But saving faith is not our contribution. Right? We can never provide our own saving faith. Right? We, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, hopelessly and helplessly dead in trespasses and sins. God had to regenerate us. He had to resurrect us. He had to make us alive together with Christ, and God had to give us the gift of saving faith before we would ever trust Christ as our Savior. Right? We're not saved by our works. We're saved by the work of Christ on our behalf, namely his righteous life, his atoning death, and his victorious resurrection. And so Paul mentions love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And a helpful definition of, of saving faith is found in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 14. It says, the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life. I think, I think that's, that, that, that's, that's wonderfully, beautifully helpful. Charles Spurgeon said, the chief part of faith lies in taking hold of Christ as being ours, and in the resting on Christ for salvation. It will not save me to know Christ is a Savior, but it will save me to trust him to be my Savior, to, to rest on him. So Paul says again in Ephesians 6, verse 23, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, there's verse 24. Where Paul writes, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So, again, looking first at that word grace. You know, the word grace, I've told you this before, that, you know, it's a bit like the word football. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but grace is a bit like the word football. Uh, it means different things to different people. And, you know, and, and you, you know what I'm talking about? And we're all using, you know, we can all have the same vocabulary. Uh, but not all be using the same dictionary, and grace is one of those words, you know, uh, just like football. Like in Australia, football means rugby, right? In, in Brazil, football means soccer. You know, in, in Houston, you know, football means football, right? Like it's supposed to mean, right? Football. And so, and, and, and my, my guess is, is that I'm willing to bet that most of us, we're familiar with that word grace, but that we don't always mean the same thing by it, even whenever we're using the same word. And so let's try to wrap our minds and our hearts around what Paul means by the word grace. Right? Grace is not merely graciousness or kindness. When we speak of God's grace, we're not merely saying that God is gracious and nice. That, that grace is God's free and undeserved favor and mercy and love towards sinners like us. You know, the Welsh preacher David Martin Lloyd-Jones 
expands a little bit more. He says, it is in spite of us that God forgives us. We are Christian not because we are good people. We're Christian because though we were bad people, God had mercy upon us and sent his son to die for us. We're saved entirely by the grace of God. There's no human contribution whatsoever. And if you think there is, you are denying the central biblical doctrine. See, grace is God's free and undeserved favor and mercy and love towards sinners like us. You see, look again at what Paul says in verse 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Whenever Paul says there, grace be with you, he means may, may God continue his grace toward you. May you continue to be reminded of God's grace to you. May you continue to rest in God's grace for you in Christ. Now we have that final phrase. This is for all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now we've already looked at how God the Father's love and God the Son's love for us, it shows up in every chapter in Ephesians. But here in verse 24, Paul's talking about our love for Christ. You notice that? But you know, notice the, the order matters. Right? First, God must love us with his, his saving, electing, redeeming love before we will ever love him. Right? And so we see that. He mentioned that in verse 23, love with faith that comes from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He talked about God's love for us first, and now in verse 24, he's talking about our love for Jesus. Loving Jesus with love that is incorruptible, with love that cannot be corrupted, undying love, immortal love, eternal love, sincere love, real, persevering, enduring love. Love incorruptible. And I think the, the implicit question here at the very end of Ephesians 6, the very end of this long letter, this wonderful letter, the implicit question is, do you love Jesus? See, that's the question that truly matters. Do you love Jesus? I think Paul wants us to reflect on that. Do we love Christ? Do, do we long to love him better? Do we desire to love him more wholeheartedly? You know, Pastor Kevin DeYoung says, you know, wouldn't this be a more comfortable question? Do you go to church? Do, do you affirm the Apostles' Creed? Are you spiritual? Do you pray? Is God important in your life? Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? All of those are really good questions, really important questions, but there's something about this question that really gets to our heart and gets to the heart of the matter. Do you love Jesus? And we know that, that we will only love Christ because he first loved us. And what we read about in verses like 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Or as we sing, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine, for thee all the follies of sin I resign, my gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. You see, here at the very end of Ephesians, 
Paul implicitly asks, do you know Christ? Do you know the peace of Christ? Do you know Christ himself as your peace? Do you know his grace? Do you have saving faith? Are you you resting on him and his finished work of redemption alone for your salvation? Do you know Christ? Do you love Christ? And yet, friends, our confidence is not ultimately in our love for Christ because our love is often too frail, too fickle, too faltering, but our sure and certain confidence and hope and peace and our assurance is in Christ's love for us, which is always steadfast, faithful, and preserving I mean, that's easier said than it is to to believe and to live in light of, but it is a love that will never let us go. It's a love that will bring us all the way home, all of God's people all the way home. And so Paul ends this letter with peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And yet the meaning really is Grace be with all of you who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible and who are loved by Christ with love incorruptible. A truly undying, never-ending love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the whole letter to the Ephesians, but specifically with this passage. Reflecting on Tychicus's life, his life of faithfulness is instructive and challenging and encouraging. And my prayer is that it would, it would inspire all of us to, to long to be as faithful as we possibly can in all things. The big things, and small things, everything in between. And we thank you, Father, for the peace and the grace, and the love, and the faith that are all gifts from you to sinners like us. And we praise you, Father, that we, that we are secure in your love that truly, really, absolutely is incorruptible. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.